for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. Today we should be talking to Caroline Scott, a clinical scientist and the video telemetry service lead at Birmingham Children's Hospital. We should be hearing about how she helps prepare children affected by refractory epilepsy for surgery and the massive positive differences that her care and both regular and intracranial EEGs offer. Thank you so much for joining us, Caroline. Please, could you tell everybody a bit about yourself? Thank you very much for having me. So I'm, I'm Caroline. I am a clinical scientist working at Birmingham Children's Hospital. Uh, my main role is uh, I'm the video telemetry service lead so I am working with children who have refractory epilepsy um, and helping them through the pathway towards epilepsy surgery, helping identify where their seizures come from, uh, performing video telemetry both um, scalp video telemetry and invasive recordings as well and that, that is my job. How exciting. Well, I think it's really exciting. I think a lot of people go, oh my goodness, you know, she's talking about like intracranial stuff. What does that mean? But um, yeah, I mean, as I've had a video telemetry, but luckily, luckily not intracranial because my brain was shifty enough, obviously, that I did not need it. And <laughs> then you take that dodgy bit out. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. You see, you're talking about children. So what age children do you work with? So um, we work with actually all children, I think. Um, so. We work as part of that. There's a national network of centres, so um, it, very boring, but the government decided that um, organising the centres to make sure that the places doing this kind of surgery were centres of excellence. They limited it down to a, a certain group of centres that were allowed to do this. So there are four in the UK. So there's Great Ormond Street, um, there is Bristol, uh, Birmingham Children's, and then there's a combined centre, which is Alderhay and Manchester. Um, and so all of us work as a little network um, and kind of split the country up and then the children come from the roughly the regional area to the centres. We're part of this little little network and um, the, the Birmingham centre is, is really big um, and yeah we're, we're performing um, video telemetry for, for a range of patients who have refractory epilepsy and it, it can be anything from, from days and weeks old to about 19 is the, the limit of when we can perform surgery on them. Because um, there are certain types of surgery that uh, really paediatric neurosurgeons specialise in, that even at the age of 18, 19, adult neurosurgeons wouldn't be as happy doing those surgeries because they're, they're not familiar to them, they don't do them on such a regular basis because it is done more, more for paediatrics than anything else. From the perspective potentially of a neurosurgeon, what would be the difference between somebody who's 19 and 20 then? Why would you need a particular type of like an adult or a paediatric neurosurgeon on each side? How do they differ? For, for adults, uh, you're looking, this, this is very broadly speaking, I'm not a neurosurgeon, let's just get that out there. Um, very broadly speaking, for <laughs> adults, um, the, the surgery tends to be more temporal lobe epilepsy. It, it tends to be the one that is done more, most often and is um, is 
what adults tend to suffer with on a more regular basis. So that's the more standard operation. For children, it, they're, they're extra temporal, so they're outside of the temporal lobe and can quite often involve a whole hemisphere. So things like doing a hemispherotomy where you're disconnecting the two hemispheres so they can't talk to each other in the same kind of way is an operation that realistically a paediatric neurosurgeon would be much more experienced at doing. And some of our children up to the age of about 19-ish still need those kind of operations, the quite drastic operations, and therefore wouldn't want to be handed over to adult care because it just wouldn't be something they'd com be comfortable doing. So we have transition services where the children, if, if, we've, if we've identified a lesion, um, an area of brain, we can hand over all of that information to the adult services if the patient feels like they'd rather be in adult care or they want to take a little bit more time or some of our children have said actually you know what I'd like to get through uni before I do that so we hand it over to somebody somebody else who will be experienced at doing that kind of surgery so it isn't a hard and fast rule it's it's just uh, yeah it's something we play by ear when they get to that age so what do you actually do though because you've got like this wonderful t title and stuff well titles plural if anybody's I interested <laughs> but, <laughs> but um what do you actually like do what do you do for these children and families my job is um essentially children come into the ep epilepsy surgery pathway they've got refractory epilepsy um so uh, as I'm sure many many of your um, avid followers will know that children um, as well as adults uh, once you've tried probably about two anticonvulsant medications the chances of another one working is pretty limited so um, for these people um, in actual fact surgery could be an option especially if they're having focal seizures so what our job is is to try and identify where the seizures are coming from so on a weekly basis I get children into the hospital on a Monday we stick a whole load of electrodes on their head and we monitor them throughout the space of a week and we try and capture their seizures on video and EEG um, and so the two things are, are so important essentially the EEG is going to tell us where the electrical activity is coming from and then the video is going to give us subtle signs about the bits of the brain that are involved so we're looking at minute little details like which arm move first which which way do their eyes go do they you know, do they do some pouting? Is there any dribbling? Do they look scared? What at what point is these happening? Are they occurring in a certain phase of sleep? And in it, there's so many tiny little details that we find really important, and they help just localise where the seizures are coming from. So for some of our children. Their MRI scans look completely normal. Um, we send most of our children for PET scans as well. Quite often they come back normal, um, and the EEG and the, the seizures that we're seeing are the only things that are guiding us as to where they come from. And so for some of these children, we then have to go for an intracranial recording. So say we can say, oh, well, you know, we've localised it to this region. We can't be that general for surgery. It has to be as specific as we can be. So we're trying to make sure that we're taking the smallest amount of brain out that is going to stop the seizures, but is also not going to have any impact on the child or limited impact. When I had my um, resection, I know there was still some shifty tissue left um, because the impact removing that would have, well, it would have an awful impact on the tissue next to it. So do you have to do that sometimes with the children and explain to that to the mum and dad as well? Absolutely. So part of um, part of doing the invasive recordings is, is that as well. So in some of the children where we know we've also got a lesion, we 
but we know that that lesion is actually butting right up against something that's going to be really important. We put electrodes into the lesion, round the lesion, front and back, and then we can map what those bits of, of, of the cortex do. So we can do specific tests and make sure that that is exactly what we're finding from those bits of tissue. And in some cases, if, you, if you've got a lesion that's an, an, an abnormal piece of tissue, it can actually push the function into other areas if you've always had it. Um, so that therefore means that in actual fact, we could take it out when anatomically looking at it, it looks like it should have been doing something useful, but that function has actually shifted to a different area of the brain. So a lot of what we're doing when we're doing intracranial recordings is not only localising exactly where the seizures are coming from, but is making sure that the areas around the, that, that lesion, we can then essentially demarcate an area to the surgeon and say, well, this bit, you can take this bit, but not any further than that, um, which is something that we can also explore in theatre as well. I've always considered myself a bit of an anomaly, but I, I, we were chatting before this and I said that I was excited about my own surgery. Yes, I'm a supposed adult, but even as a kid, I was like, whoa, brain is so amazing. And I just know I would have been like quite excited about it. I did trust my clinicians as well. Um, but you, we've been speaking about how lots of um, parents, they get really nervous about, oh my goodness, you're going to take a bit of my, my child's brain out. Like, should they do it, you know? Um, but can you tell us why they shouldn't necessarily be so worried? I think I think I mean understandably understandably mm. you're going to be worried I mean it's it's a big undertaking um I think the thing um the thing I always find absolutely remarkable um is how quickly children recover from this this kind of surgery literally mm. bounce back and um in a way I think that that's something that a lot of parents put themselves in that position and go, oh my God, you know, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be awful. And I'm going to, you know, the child's going to feel dreadful. And in actual fact, the children do a lot and they tolerate it a lot better than anybody anticipates. Um, the, the thing I think is, is the most important thing is, it is, yes, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be several weeks off school. It's going to be, you know, a week in hospital, a lot of recovery, maybe, you know, maybe some physio. It, it kind of depends where, where we're yeah. taking taking the, the tissue from but at the end of the day if that can lead to them having no seizures or you know even still on full medication fewer. that they're still on few, fewer seizures shorter seizures the impact is so great that it it's just that like the children just come on in leaps and pounds and I think for a lot of parents, they get so used to their child having so many seizures and a lot of smaller children have seizures in their sleep. So their sleep's disrupted, yeah. their learning's disrupted, they're on anticonvulsants, which don't help their learning either. And it's just that, you know, everything compounds everything else. And it's just to have that, that burden lifted a bit and, and just their brain, they, they just excel. And, and, you know, it isn't the case for everybody, but giving them the chance to do that, I think it, it is just is just something that that realistically, I think a lot of more people should be helped to make that decision and, and to to see that it, it can be so, so so productive, especially for children. You're making me just like go all soft. I think <laughs> that I it's so it's so true. I, I you know like if if I had, for instance, had surgery when I was younger. I know that, well, first of all, the, 
the scar tissue most likely would not have grown even bigger. Um, I wouldn't have had all the accidents that I've had. Um, I would have been on a lower anti uh, dosage of anti-seizure medications growing up. So I would have been able to pay more attention in school, not fall asleep all the time, have more friends. Um, and also with lower dosage of meds, you know, we know those can sometimes contribute to psychiatric comorbidities, which I experience as well. So I just, I sound like I'm really trying to sell it, don't I? I just think <laughs> it's really bad. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, as, as somebody that's, that, that's gone through it and can see, see the impact that it has to know that, you know, for some people that option is available to much younger. And for, you know, for the children that are under, that we see that are under five, I mean, we operate quite quickly because, you know, they the, their brains are so plastic they recover so well it it's like it never happened for some of them and it, it that is just amazing and to be able to do that and offer those children um and like an escape almost from from a lifetime of having seizures is is just it's something that we all strive to strive to do and 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 really like having parents on board makes that so much so much easier I guess it's like the education of parents is so important because the more you um, the more you realize the more you understand what your child might be going through and what the potentials of treatments are the less scary it is and also I think quite if you understand or have a good understanding of the pros and cons of a surgery I reckon more people probably go down that route. A lot of the time it's the stuff, the comorbidities and the drugs can be worse than the epilepsy for the, yeah. for the child. Yeah. And I think that's not often seen by other people. And so to just be able to tell that stuff to, you know, sod off a bit, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think some of the, the, the amazing things that, you know, I've, I've experienced at work and um, have just really made you realize how, how difficult life is with epilepsy i mean thankfully i, I have never had a, a seizure and and you know touch wood I, I i won't ever but i we had two teenage girls in i try and get children in um that are the same age at the same time so that then they've got something in common and so that then oh, I, had, nice. I had two teenage girls in and one of them had literally never met a single person who had epilepsy and the relief to meet somebody else who knew what she was talking about and knew how difficult stuff was. And like to be 13 in general is pretty awful a lot of the time. And yeah. just to meet somebody else who was used to the idea, like she kept missing school because she had seizures in the morning and she couldn't then get up or she had to sleep for the rest of the day. Just have someone else who goes, yeah, yeah, been there done that and like the two of them exchange numbers and they're still friends to this day and it's it's just it's just lovely and I think we've then tried to instigate a, a, a teenage support network um, through the the psychology team as well as through us uh, to give them a bit like just to have somebody to talk to that that gets them because like teenage kids don't always want to talk to their parents and they want that independence or anyone <laughs> <laughs> true but they want that independence yeah. from their parents and quite a lot of parents don't really let them have that independence just because it isn't safe for them and it's it's just so difficult um and just having that that kind of freedom to, to to make some decisions for yourself I think is really important and sadly some some kids you know suddenly start having seizures in their teenage years and it you know 
the whole world gets turned upside down and um, rather than growing up with this and knowing that this is this is them and part of their identity they kind of have to reform their identity around the idea that they have seizures now and and that can be so hard and to be able to offer them the opportunity of taking that away is is just even even better be like another universe for them like seriously like not even another world but another universe because your life especially if you're somebody who is being considered for surgery your epilepsy is refractory it kind of even if it's even if for instance you're not having tonic clonics you you and you're not injuring yourself frequently that doesn't mean that that little rude word is going on in your head and that is affecting the whole of your life um so I, do you know what interesting um you've made me think of somebody that i know we've been friends for a very long time and i found out that she had had epilepsy whilst we were living together but she didn't know and i didn't know she was having um nocturnal seizures and she had been having them her whole life but i didn't know and it was when something unusual occurred she woke up and she's like what is going on and she got diagnosed and they said yeah you've been having these since you were a child and whereas i was like going for it all the time with my tonic clonics and, and stuff and so she was being a great friend like oh yeah and she was having her own <laughs> it's not one. funny but yeah yeah it's no, not no. but yeah and she but she takes um so she wouldn't consider uh surgery now and she's a like me a supposed adult anyway which is different not not your patients but um she uh and the drugs that she takes are they don't have a massive impact on her life because she's on quite a low dosage and that helps her out and that's amazing and i think it's important to recognize that we do have people who like good on you yeah like these are, it is a restriction in life to a degree especially if your seizures aren't controlled but it's not so bad so not all kids and not all or supposed adults have it to the nth degree no. Um, and but like it's... you say, not not everybody has like massively disabling seizures. It's mm. just the wider impact that right. those those seizures have, and the medication and and the impact on everything else that mm. that especially for children is is so important. And you know the the memory capabilities and and, and things like that. That that if you can help that at all, it it makes such a huge difference. Um, I think. I was thinking recently that so I'm quite I don't know over the top when it comes to certain words even though I can hardly remember them half the time but uh, and I just and I was thinking about wow what if I had been I call it doped up but on anti-seizure medications earlier than the age of 10 the learning opportunity that I say two years earlier those from 8 to 10 I wonder if I would have learned far fewer words and even today communicating could be even more challenging so it's like the earlier you are able to help that child the better right reduce the seizures get rid of them if possible and then i would totally have considered surgery myself but that is just me but yeah um, and it's it's one of those things we're trying to make sure everybody has access to and and right. you know, we, we do a lot of work um going to um well going obviously in the current climate we don't <laughs> yeah. go anywhere at all but <laughs> virtually going to other centers and and saying you know these children though you may not think of it like if they meet these criteria it's worth us having a look it's worth us doing these investigations doing a more complex mri scan doing a video telemetry capturing their seizures and and being really certain that we know what's happening and to see whether that is an option um even if it helps you know choose a better medication or something you know try a different combination that 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 you haven't thought of or or something along those lines it just there's it's really disheartening when people go oh you know 
you've got refractory epilepsy, you know, that's it. You're, you're going to have seizures the rest of your life. It, it, I feel like there, there are some, some places where, where people still get managed like that. And, and I don't think that should be the case. As you say, it is perfectly, it perfectly possible to be on medication, to have occasional seizures and to live a fulfilling life. But if we can get in there and help to start off with, why not give it give it that go? And like we we have a lot of a lot of children come through and, and, you know, at the end of the day, we go, actually, you know, you know, we could offer this. But these are the chances of, of X, Y and Z happening. You know, if we took it out, you know, you might end up with this kind of deficit or you might end up with one arm weakness or word finding difficulties or memory problems. And then, you know, at the end of the day, that that kind of decision is very hard for a parent to make on behalf of a child, especially a child that, that possibly doesn't have the greatest understanding of what's happening. But the team are really great at, at being very honest about what they can offer and what they anticipate will happen. And our neurosurgeons will give you a percentage chance of seizure freedom. And that is that's part of of their kind of laying out all the evidence. They're going to go this. This is what we've got. This is what. This is the evidence that we have. This is the chance of seizure freedom. Um, and, you know, ask your questions now and, and we'll do our best to answer them. And it, and I think from that point of view, I'm, I feel really lucky to work as part of such a such a, an amazing team that 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 do this on a, on a regular basis um, and have such a wealth of experience of, of successful surgery. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, what are the titles of the other people that you work with? Because you say team, but who does that include? So the the team involves uh, neurology, obviously, um, neurosurgeons. We have uh, two neurosurgeons at the moment. Um, we have psychiatrists, uh, physiotherapists, neuropsychologists, uh, speech and language team, um, occupational therapy and us and radiology. There's quite a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, so important. I did a presentation recently, actually, it was like kind of a pie chart, but without any specific percentages, but just to try and explain to the audience how, yes, you need people in all the roles that you've just mentioned, much especially if one is going through surgery, but in full care of somebody, especially with such a complex disease, you need to be able to have the support. Like, I think often people think about surgery. Okay, cool. That's great. No more seizures. Oh my goodness. Or even if they, they realize it's no more seizures, often, Oh, sorry, there might not, you might not be rid of all your seizures that often there's, you know, psychiatric comorbidities to deal with or learning, dif di learning difficulties or, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean that those issues will be there forever, especially with kids, right? You can mold that amazing brain tissue and just learn some other way. But <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> For some of our older children, uh, you know, and, and you, they experience this quite a lot in adult centres, if you've had seizures all your life, that identity of I'm somebody with epilepsy, I'm somebody who has seizures, changing that identity can be quite a struggle and it, it's quite a mind shift. And, and I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, you must be delighted. And you're just like, I, I, I've got to reshape myself now. Like I was told all of these things wouldn't be options. And, and now maybe they are. Maybe I can go to uni. Maybe I, you know, can do these things. And, and I think from that point of view, the 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 cohesion of the of the team is, is really great. I get to spend a week with these children so and their parents, like chatting to them every day, chatting to them about their seizures, getting to know, you know, what their aspirations are and, and that kind of thing and, and understanding their, their capabilities on a 
on a day-to-day -day basis and also getting a really good idea of their seizure burden and that that is really useful information it's all very well i can say where you know say where the seizures are coming from but also kind of being able to give feedback about you know over the course of a week this happened or we've really felt that this was an issue and you know we get the psychiatrist to come and see them where they're in if we have concerns about them and, and just having those resources available is is really invaluable i think and, and like you say it is a massive team of people and we can't do it without any one of those people not being present and, in, and engaged for that child it's lovely to hear you talk about um, your colleagues as well because i think I'm pretty sure that most of the people affected by the epilepsy's families included, unless they kind of come to the point where they're considering surgery for their child, um, you just see your neurologist and sometimes maybe you'll see the child's epilepsy nurse, but that's about it. And they don't really know of all these great minds coming together behind the scenes to help them make the decisions that they need to for their child. Um, there is so much work and, and knowledge that goes into it. And actually speaking of knowledge, um, Tell us about how you are constantly learning because you do so much stuff and technology is taking us in like amazing places and all this research and stuff. You must have to like flip and read like five books a day or something, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I wish my poor memory could keep up with the amount of stuff I actually have to do. Oh, I feel um, you. So, so yeah, I, I think that that's the thing. And, and you know, we, we work in a field that is, you know, it's clinically driven, but we are research we are research focused as well. So each person in the department also has, you know, their own little bit of research that they're doing. We have loads of different bits of software we use to analyze the data. So the, the parents and the children see us doing an EEG and then, you know, for several days in a row, and then, you know, they get, they kind of get some feedback at some point later down the line. And, and they kind of, like you say, they kind of forget all of the stuff that goes on in the background, all the analysis that we do. Um, and when it comes to the intracranial recordings, I mean, we are doing hours and hours worth of analysis and, you know, doing, we have got um, computer programs that analyze the spectral quantity of the, the EEG that you're recording at different points in the recording that indicates exactly where we think the seizure should be coming from. We do all these stimulation protocols and send signals down the electrodes and try and stimulate seizures or stimulate different bits of brain, check the connectivity between different areas and map out networks. We do all of this in 3D as well, so we can map the electrodes on a 3D model of the brain. Um, so we use loads of different bits of software and analysis tools that lovely nerds sitting in labs in universities all over the world provide us with. And it's, it's great to be able to use these tools that have been so dedicated to research in a clinical setting and, you know, it, add these into the whole wealth of, of knowledge that we have. And and for me, I, I, I'm somebody, I'm, I'm quite visual. So for me, being able to see electrodes in 3D space, I mean, obviously most of the time I'm looking at a page of wiggly lines, to then be able to, with integrated recordings, to be able to then see that in 3D space and then go, actually, this one relates to that one. And that's why I'm seeing that discharge on those two electrodes, even though they appear to be a long distance away when they actually inserted, they did this and they're actually millimetres apart when at the point I'm looking at it. So it, there are so many things that we're getting up to in the background that, um, yeah, 
there aren't enough hours in the day to fit in the amount of uh, nerdiness that we like to get down with, to be honest. Well, I, I truly admire nerdiness, should you call it such. I just think it's amazing. And while you were describing that, um, and I can't think of the word for what I'm about to say is, but you made me think of um, planet Earth, right, in space. And then you've got, um, I'm thinking of the poor uh, countries that are on uh, the edge of the tectonic plates and they're going to have a... Uh, yeah, I know, but it is kind of like this, right, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and then yeah, So yeah. they're going to have an earthquake, yeah? And so there's a little bit of a rumble deep down, like 10 miles down, and then it's coming up and it's going to go, psh, and it's a bit like when a seizure goes off, that earthquake, and then it could go even further. Say it goes across like a tiny island and it causes a tidal wave, and that could be like your your tonic-clonic, secondary generalised tonic-clonic. And I, I don't know why you made me think of it like that, but it no, is no, kind of it's, like that. It's, it's a really, really great analogy. So for some for some of our patients, they don't really understand. Um, um, quite a lot of kids, we, we often see um, their seizures are so deep that when we're doing a scalp recording, we barely see anything. Yet we know, looking at what they're doing, we know hands down it is clearly a seizure. And and it's it's that it's that understanding and you know the professor I work with has so much experience and we'll just look at it together and go well it, it's clearly a seizure where it's coming from we need to try and work out but we know that's a seizure and so this is our hypothesis and we'll come up with a list of like three areas we think it's, it's probably this but it could be that and maybe it's spreading to here and that's how we then plan the implantation so when we don't have anything else to go on if we've got a normal MRI and even if the, the, the video telemetry looks fairly normal you're just getting indications of where things are coming from often it's 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 across like the, the vertex of the head so it's come from somewhere really deep and it, you're just literally getting a radiation up to the surface and that's all you're seeing and so you've got to get these electrodes really deep inside the brain and work out exactly where like you say these little eruptions are coming from and why we're not seeing them spread to the surface and the amount of times we implant these electrodes and that bit of brain is firing away all the time and you're just like it is just going for it and then every now and again it is just spreading a tiny bit further out it's pretty amazing yeah it's horrifically yeah. amazing but yeah um and you're making me uh, remember there was um, a conversation i was following um online there seemed to be quite a lack of understanding of eegs which is basically that <laughs> if one has an eeg no matter one's age then if there's any abnormal or extracurricular uh, tectonic activity going on in there then that will be get, then that will be identified and and i was like wow okay now i probably thought that when i was little too but like personal experience my i've had eg's which are like totally fine nothing dodgy there even first video telemetry second one i was so stressed then i had a seizure which is the only time you want one but they, i think it's quite common to think that one eg will be all good um, and that, so if you could just, well, what you are telling us is that, that is certainly not the case. Yeah, and I, I think, it, you know, from, from our point of view, in, in the more routine element of the department, we have a lot of children that, that will come in for, for a first EEG. They've had, you know, a couple of seizures, you know, maybe in in kind of maybe they've had a high temperature and that kind of thing. But there was something unusual about the seizure and therefore it warrants an investigation. And we'll do an EG and like you say, it turns out completely normal. So we then, you know, that it's it's the old old adage of 
sensitivity and specificity, we need to then try and change those numbers round and make sure that we are getting the most useful information. And so the yield of an EEG goes up significantly, the length of the EEG, and also when you include sleep. So for a lot of our children, and to be honest, in our routine department, pretty much anybody under the age of five, we actually do a sleep EEG on. Not only because we can make the EEG longer, we can also, it's easier for, for small children to be asleep. Yeah, yeah, and so you can just, like, you've got the electrodes on, you, you annoy them a bit, they maybe have a bit of a cry at you, and then hopefully they drift off to sleep and you can then let the recording run for 40 minutes, an hour, and get a lot more information. And that transition between wake and sleep is when you do see a lot of abnormalities. So we often then do the really mean thing where we let them sleep for 20 minutes, half an hour, and then wake them up so that we see both. You are mean, man. <laughs> we are. Oh, we my are gosh. mean. It's, it's how we get down. Um, so you see those two transitions into sleep and out of sleep again. Mm -hmm. And that, that increases the yield of an EEG even further. So the longer the recording, the more data you're likely to get. So it isn't to say that if you've had normal EEG, I'm saying everything's abnormal and you just don't know it yet. Um, of course. But if, if, you, if, if you're absolutely convinced and if the, the, as a parent, most parents will come in and go, that's not right. Something's not right. I know something's not right. And that is usually your indicator that, that something unusual is occurring. And especially if somebody's seen it, I know it, it goes against all the laws of, of looking after somebody in an emergency situation, but getting your phone out and videoing a seizure I know, is it one of wrong, the most, it? I yeah. know, it's, but it's one of the most useful things you can do. And especially if you know it's coming, like if, you're, if your child or the person you're caring for gives you any kind of warning, that initial stage is the most important bit because that tells us exactly where it's coming from. Um, so yeah, things like that are, are can be really, really helpful. And I think, um, yeah, the longer recordings we do, I, I spend my days doing week-long recordings, so I'm all in favour of a longer recording, but the resources of the NHS don't allow us to do that with everybody. So we have to pick what we feel is the best recording at the time. And for a lot of centres, that will just be a routine EEG, but you will find, especially for paediatrics, they will do a lot of sleep EEGs because that just gives us a bit more information. How do you keep the kids calm and stuff when you do it? Because I know lots of mums and dads get worried. Oh my goodness, you're going to, um, well, first of all, just an EEG, you're going to touch my kid's head and it's going to, my, my poor child is going to freak out or whatever. And sometimes they do, especially with, you know, um, I'm stereotyping, but certain types of autism and stuff, they don't like it, and uh, which I totally get. So how do you help that be okay for the child, like less stressful? We do encourage parents if they really know that their kid really doesn't handle having their head touched um, to let us know. Um, so when they get the appointment letters or they, they know they're having a referral for the test to actually say, actually, this, this could be really tricky. And it gives us a heads up and it also enables us to incorporate things that might make it easier. For some of the children, we um, for, for most of the children that have a sleep EG, we give them melatonin, which is a, a, a natural hormone, um, and it enables them to be slightly more sleepy. Um, for kids that sleep quite deeply, you can get electrodes on when they're asleep. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, despite the scratch, that is despite, pretty deep. Despite the scratch, we are like electrode ninjas um, and we can get them on. But for a lot of children, in a way, it's going to sound a little bit cruel, but smaller children, getting them upset and them crying actually wears them out a bit. 
So then once you've got them on, they do go to sleep really well. So if you can handle 10 minutes or so of them being a bit agitated, annoyed at us, we can get those electrodes on and they will drift off to sleep. Um, for children that are more autistic, um, of which we do see a lot, understanding what might help them and calm them down is great. We have little TVs and DVD players in our rooms. Um, we have a lot of relaxing music that we play. Um, we can give them extended time slots. Um, we encourage people that especially uh, that, that really struggle with the idea of being in hospital to just come even and see the department first. Um, we have a really brilliant learning disabilities team. They have sets of electrodes, uh, disposable electrodes, and they, they sit with the kids. They go through what it looks like. They get the kids to stick them on dolls, stick them on other people. Um, so for children that we really do need to get that EG done, we have a lot of ways of kind of reassuring them that something, it, it may not be brilliant, but it isn't A, going to last long and B, it isn't going to hurt. And just giving them that reassurance um, is really vital. And for a lot of the children, just really taking the time to let them settle into somewhere, um, settle into, into a room, understand what's happening, understand that we're not a threat. It, it's, it's a long-winded process, but it is definitely worth it. Having that insight into how your child, what, what is going on there, and if you are, are, you know, if you are able to understand a bit of yourself, just knowing what the person is doing, and there, there's no threat, and actually, it's pretty cool. How I, because I, I don't remember having my first um, EG, but I just know what I'm like, and I'm like, so why are you doing that? Why? Why? How can you see in my head? I don't understand. Why? Why? And that is what kids <laughs> do, isn't it? It's questions, so yeah. if you can answer, yeah. yeah, I still do it to be yeah. honest, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, all, all the questions, like the amount of stuff we get asked. What's the craziest question or like most unusual, should I say, question you've ever been asked? The most, the most frequent question you get asked is, can you read my mind? Which honestly, if I could do that, oh. I would be a lot, a lot richer than I am right now. Yeah, can richer. you tell what I'm thinking? Yeah. Um, and for some children, you know, especially, you know, if they're a little bit misbehaving, you say, well, I can do and I'm not going to tell your mum. <laughs> But no, that it's, involves it's, the it's, reaction when you do you say that sometimes. That is funny. Okay, I'll do what everyone. <laughs> but well, yeah, yeah, it's having it's yeah having a joke with them and getting them to kind of know that yeah, like like you say, like I think a lot of children have the opinion that that doctors and nurses and medical staff are are kind of they're scary or threatening or or difficult. Mm. And being able to just sit and have a laugh with with a kid and mm. get on their wavelength and and know what it is that would make them laugh or uh, you know just get them to relax is is really important and it. It does make the test go, you know, if you can get extend that recording from 10 minutes to 20 minutes to half an hour, it, it, it makes all the difference. Do you um, ever do ambulatory EGs with patients? Yes. How does that work your side? We get the patients to come in, we stick, um, stick all the electrodes on, glue them down, have a little box that's about this big that they take home, kind of old school Game Boy size. Um, and they a million take that <laughs> yeah, million wires which we wrap in kind of like a, a sock bandage so you don't get in a tangle we've got special hats um that have a hole in the back so it's like a swimming hat a fabric swimming hat hole in the back so that electrodes come out of it and they're all really cool shapes and colors and 
all that kind of stuff. So the kids really oh, like them. Oh, that's so not fair. Because I had one of those, right, two years ago. And <laughs> I'm not a child. But it's really not fair because I had one of these, right? And I'm taking my pack home, which looked really daggy, by the way. Anyway, and I had like, I just thought, I had no special hat or anything. It was just like some, you know, the dodgy wires hanging. I did take a picture and put it on Facebook because I thought it was quite stylish. But yeah, see, the kids get all this cool stuff. It's yeah. so unfair. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that on the whole that tends to go pretty well and yeah we, we we run a service where we get them to come to us so they we get them to come back every day i know some of the other centers get you know get equipment couriered out or they go to the houses but you know we we don't do that at our center um and we also do a, a time locked video as well so you can take the video home and set that up so kids are having overnight seizures if they have them every night and they're going to be much more settled in their own home rather than in a hospital bed we get them to put a camera by the bedside that that links to the ambulatory recording and then we download it all and work out what's what happened overnight so much of this was not possible just a few years no. ago i think it's really no. exciting and yeah. and having like you and your colleagues over here but also who work with people overseas too that's really cool because you can learn from each other right and you don't all have to read four books a day you know do two and then just share <laughs> share the contents with everybody else yes absolutely <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It's been real, honestly, delight talking to you and really just so, so heartwarming and cool to hear how you're working with these, I was gonna, I didn't know what to say, children or families. It's kind of both, right? Because the epilepsies yeah. affect the family so much. Yeah. Thank you. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>